0: Hey there. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. Who we have with us today is John Hill, a.k.a. Small Mountain. John Small Mountain is his personal website, and you can go and check it out there. He's what I would call a sales nerd. It's all about sales, and that's what he helps people with, companies with, as well as that's what he's passionate about. Now, how many people passionate about sales do you find out there, right? (laughs) And then on top of that, he does a couple of different things. He's got a couple of companies. One of them is called Adapted Growth. We'll find out what that's about. And then Sales Throwdown. That's something else that he does more as a show. So welcome, John. Welcome to Plan B Success. And we're so glad to have you here.
1: I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, who are you and what are you doing?
1: I really enjoy sales. I've been doing it in one fashion or another for pretty much my entire adult life. Uh, I started out waiting tables and learned that if I upsold people that I got higher tickets and people typically tip off the ticket total. So I started doing a bunch of that and then moved into retail sales, banking, investments, and uh, always did fairly well. And then I got an opportunity handed to me in my lap and it was to move into the B2B space, which I was really excited about. And it was to sell medical devices and very specifically spinal hardware implants and things like that for spine surgeries. And I was so excited, right? Like medical sales is the brass ring. Right? I mean, that's where everybody wants to be if you've been in sales for a while. And uh, it was the hardest transition ever. It was, the fir- it was the first time I really ever struggled. And uh, it wasn't great at the time. But looking back on it now, it's the reason why I'm here and doing the things that I'm doing because it forced me to go get coachable about around being a salesperson because prior to that, I kind of had some ego. I kind of did that always be closing mentality and putting lots of pressure on people and not really realizing that, uh, it was creating barriers and, uh, making it harder for me to, to be successful and, uh, started going down the path of self-improvement, working with coaches, every book I could get my hands on every podcast I could listen to and really just started to work on it. And, uh, Then a friend of mine invited me to uh, come in as a partner, work in a website design agency. So we did that for about three years, and he was a sales guy as well. So, and he'd been doing it longer than I had. So I got to work in like a lab with this guy who was my friend who had been doing it longer than me, and it was just every bad call I could turn around, tap him on the shoulder, hey, look, let's run that again. So it was kind of like a, like a dojo, right? If you're a martial arts guy, which I am, so you get to train and train and train, and that's where you really start to see improvement, and uh, really got. Jazzed up about it, and um, when we decided to kind of part ways in the website design company, I decided that I really wanted to try to help people make sales a little bit easier, right? Because most of what we do to make sales easy is actually making it harder in some instances. So, what I decided was if I could get people process, you know, repeatable steps and repeatable frameworks and the right kinds of questions to make sure they're qualifying for the right kinds of things. Then there's less opportunity for people who are new to bring in bad work, which puts stress on the fulfillment team. And uh, that is really the goal. In my opinion, it all starts with sales, right? If you don't have people out there that are bringing in new clients, you know, account managers, back of the house people and stuff like that, don't really have anything to work on. And unfortunately, there's some stigma between sales and pretty much every other <laughs> section of a company, depending upon the company. So I'm trying to work with people so that way that stigma is gone. And it's not something you feel like you have to do or that you're compromising yourself to be successful at. Great. So let
0: me ask you a question about sales then. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have mix and match that people are selling, and you have services that people are selling, and mm-hmm. you know, you have things that are a couple of hundred dollars a pop to several million dollars a pop. So, between this and that, between the two extremes that I just spoke about, mm-hmm. do you see a difference? in terms of the sales process? How would you kind of uh, underscore your answer? Uh,
1: that's a really good question. I, um, I'm a service guy. I really like companies that have got a service component to it. I personally, I think I'd feel pretty nervous if I didn't have a service component. Um, it, w- it was just running like a product-style company, personally. Um, but I think there's something to be said for the more expensive your offering is, right? And this is for service people as well as product people. The more trust you have to build with the person you're talking to. And I think along with that, the more, the more room there is for it to be customized. And that's what people want. Nobody wants the off the shelf solution if it's going to be on the high end. They want to feel like it's being custom tailored for their needs. And I think that that really starts in your discovery conversations, right? Really diving deep to understand why these things are important. How do they want it delivered? And not taking things at face value because as salespeople, we tend to do that. We get super excited about you know closing a deal. You know, the pipeline is feeling good and we're just rushing, right? And so when we rush, we don't qualify. And then when we don't qualify, we have to hope. And hope leads us down paths that are not helpful. So I think the more expensive you get, the more you have to be uh, the consultant style salesperson, and less of the turn and burn salesperson, which is where most people tend to hang out is on that turn and burn side. I'm what not sure if that helps.
0: You? No, it does. It does help. Uh, wh- what what aspect of sales do you really enjoy?
1: I am a very curious person. I ask lots of questions. Um, you know, my family will tell you it's too many questions sometimes. Um, and so, because of that, when I'm talking with a business owner and I'm asking them questions, it's to qualify to make sure that it's a fit. But it's really a curiosity, because my intention is that I want anyone I work with to have a really great experience. And there's not a whole lot of people I've met so far who do very specifically what I do. But in the website world, there was a lot of competition. And one of the things that we were really aware of was that we did things a little bit differently. And we needed to make sure that the people that we worked with understood that. Because if if there's miscommunication there, right, and you are not on the same page with the person that you're trying to work with, it gets hectic really, really quickly. Right. And uh, we decided to over communicate really, really like multiple check-ins to make sure we're on the same page, check your understanding, recap, do all these things to make sure that there's little, as little gap as possible between, you know, how you're going to deliver and what their expectation is at the end of the day. You know, when it comes to sales, And when you look
0: at an organization, you know, one is you're selling to the external customer, but there's also, you need to make sure that the staff internally, the operational staff, the marketing staff, whoever is working within the company, they Mm -hmm. rally around you in order to support, to make Mm -hmm. that external sale happen. Mm -hmm. Happening is one thing in terms of a sale, but then you have to maintain that relationship with the client. You have to deliver on the promise that you made during the sale. And that's how you keep keep up that relationship what would you say about selling to internal clients?
1: Um, This is really funny that you bring this up, actually, because I'm working with someone right now. and We're trying to figure out how they can communicate better with their back office team so that way there's less uh, pressure feeling both ways and missed kind of deadlines and stuff. And I think it's really important to include the back office team, right? You know, some people view the salesperson as this lone wolf, right? And they and they can't be held down, and they're going to do their own thing. But they're bringing in business, so let's just let them run. And that is becoming less and less of a thing that's attractive to companies when they're when they're hiring salespeople. You know, they want people who can follow a process. They can, you know, uh, make the meetings right. They're they're less road warrior types these days than there used to be. And I think along with that is I think there's a lot more communication between sales and the back office team in companies that are doing. Sells well because you've got to, you've got, you've got, you've got to be on the same, on the same page. There's a guy that I follow. His name is Jocko Willing and uh, he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership. And, uh, I take a lot of that stuff from that book and I, and I think about it in sales, right? Because if I am burdening my back office team with stuff that isn't a good fit or put a bunch of pressure on them, that's my fault, right? Uh, and so my goal is to, with everybody I work with, have really clear communication standards so that way I know exactly what's going to happen, right? And I can help them kind of make sure that they're on the same page and that, they're, and that they're set up for success. And I think you're going to see more and more companies going in that direction.
0: So, you know, one of the things, one of the big pet peeves out there is there's always this internal conflict within companies between the operations folks and the sales folks. Absolutely. One of the things is that, you know, if you're not, well, uh, let me not say that if you're not a good salesperson, but there are salespeople <laughs> that are out there who just go and sell smoke and mirrors, right? So so you have that issue and that's how a sale has happened. And then once it comes back to the table in terms of implementation, you know, that's where the entire operational team suffers through the length of the contract in terms of building what needs to be delivered and then Mm -hmm. delivering it over a period of time. Of course, there are things that happen in terms of the relationship that takes the hits in terms with the client. But, you know what? What do you have to say to that? You know what? What is an ideal salesperson? You know is, how much of smoke and mirror can or cannot be there?
1: That's a good question. I I default to the idea that you should be over communicating. Um, I, I someone said this to me once, and I really liked this for like a very long time. That sometimes it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to get permission. And the first time I heard this, I was working in a call center, and the and the trainer told us. And for whatever reason, it just stuck in my head, and I kind of live live that philosophy for a very long time. And now, because of all the work that I've done, I go the other way, right? I I over-communicate, over-set expectations. So that way, it is going to be as easy as possible because, you know, I think it's a little bit different when you're a salesperson in an organization, you know? But like, as, as an owner, like, I want to make sure that everybody on my team is happy and that they're doing the work that they enjoy. Right. And uh, the the only way that I can do that is if there's really clear expectations around like, hey, what do you need to make this happen? How do I, you know, what kind of time do I need to buy you? Right. And that leads to communication during onboarding and training of salespeople about what fulfillment actually looks like. I have a theory that salespeople don't and don't intentionally want these kind of troubled relationships with their back office, you know, fulfillment team. I think what it comes down to is a lack of understanding about the process or they're feeling pressure to like close some kind of deal. Um a lot of people treat sales training as just product knowledge and there's not really actual training around like how to navigate a sales conversation and how to do that well and how to move somebody forward or out. It's all focused around product knowledge and that's honestly the the easy thing to learn, right? The the other stuff is harder, you know, how to have a good sales conversation, how to qualify somebody, how to move somebody forward, how to how you disqualify them and, you know, all those things. And I think along with that, there's got to be kind of a sit down of like, hey, look, these are the kind of clients that we want to work with. These are the kind of timelines that, w- that we're able to do. Here's what we've been able to deliver for these other people. So that way, that the sales, the sales team has got as much knowledge as they possibly can to bring in good work. And, you know, hiring is is difficult. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody who bring someone on and they, and they say, go get it. But that's not going to be the most successful way of bringing in a brand new salesperson and like, setting them up for success unless they already have an, a lot of industry knowledge. And exactly. uh, that works for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. Right. So, but,
0: but let me ask you this, right? So one of the things is you have functional experts like sales and HR and all of that. At the same time, when you're in a particular organization, there's an entire organizational culture that needs to be learned in terms absolutely. of product knowledge, operations knowledge, the the highs and the lows, the mm-hmm. challenges that the organization goes through and all that. So, you know, in your mind, who would make a better salesperson? Somebody with the functional knowledge and skill of having been there and done that in terms of sales mm-hmm. versus somebody who's actually touched upon operations, implementations, some of the technical challenges, having worked through all that and has that at the back of their mind when they're yeah. out to sell.
1: That's an excellent question. In the past I've always been the guy who wants to go learn the back side of it first. You know, when I uh in 2010 or 11 when I was moving around inside the the financial the financial services industry, I was a personal banker and then I, I could write business, I could do mortgages and everything else. And I was really wanting to be a financial advisor full-time or that's what I thought I wanted to do. So I decided that I would move into the back office and become a sales assistant for, you know, a year or so and really learn the ropes in the back end because I felt like that was really going to help me on the front end. And to a point, I think that that still makes a lot of sense. But we also have to look at the kind of people that do these kinds of jobs, right? The person who likes working on the back end on client files and research and you know numbers and reporting and all of these things isn't necessarily the person who's going to get really fired up about going out and having qualifying conversations. That's not to say that, that those people can't sell, but they're typically not motivated to make that move. So it's kind of hard to like want to send people down that path and then bring them back because a lot of people will go that, will go down that way and not everybody's cut out to be a salesperson. Um, I can admit that completely. Um, but I think that that's a hard path to hold because everybody that I talk to is already concerned about how long ramp up times take for new salespeople. So if you're going to add another, you know, Six weeks of like operations training and things like this—that's going to extend the ramp up cycle even more. Most people are in a scramble to hire a salesperson and get them out there and producing and paying for themselves as soon as possible, and that has its own, you know, issues and things that we have to work past. But as much as I would love to give everybody more time to like learn the back end of it, most of the people that I work with are are under the gun trying to get their salespeople to like produce at a higher level, so it's kind of hard to. You know, talk to these people around, Hey, we should do some more training around operations. So most of that stuff just kind of happens via conversation with the clients that I work with, right? When I'm trying to shore up conversation between the front of the house and the back of the house, right? I I kind of just get in there and figure it out and then try to build a process that works for both sides and over communicate to everybody so that everyone's on the same page.
0: How about, how about uh, relationship and trust and how important is that within an organization as well as with uh, external clients?
1: I mean, and I think it's the most important thing you can do, right? If I if I had showed up to your home twenty minutes before we had hopped on this call, right? Because we because we've chatted, you know, but we haven't really like had one of these sessions, and you don't know who I am. And I'm going to pull up with like, you know, a Ferrari, and I'm going to say, "Hey, for ten thousand dollars, you can have this." But you don't know who I am. You, every wall and every flag and alarm that you have mentally is going to go off in your head, and that's the same thing in sales, right? So if you just show up and you're not listening, you're not asking questions, you're not trying to figure out why it's important or what they're really trying to do or anything else. And you take that mentality of, you know, for some people, it's like, hey, shut up. I got exactly what you need. Let me show it to you, right? Like that's how some people do it. They have this mentality. And I hear people say this all the time. They don't know what they want. That's why I'm there. And it's like, that's a that's a hard spot to be in, right? Because it leads to things like ego and. A lot of other things that don't help us but when you are really concerned on building trust and understanding what is going on before you try to fix the problem that's going to put you squarely on a path and separate from everybody else that you know is calling on them and trying to work with them and things like that so
0: how how important is listening in the sales process
1: i struggle with this personally um i uh Listening is very important. Most salespeople, when they're in a sales conversation, spend more time thinking about what they're going to say next than really listening to like what is going on. And whenever you do things like that, you miss out on all kinds of little things, right? Someone might drop something fairly significant in your lap in an offhanded comment that you miss completely because you're thinking about, you know, are they going to stall me? Are they going to give me a think it over and run away? Or what happens next? Or what am I going to say? Or how do I look smart in front of them in this very instant, you know, as opposed to having some some confidence and really just focusing on the conversation, right? Being present in sales conversations is a very hard thing to do, because we've got all this other stuff kind of weighing on us. But it's the best way to be in a sales conversation, right? Be present, listen, you know, pick up the small verbal cues or body language changes and things like this. So that way, you can have the best conversation possible, because that's really what selling is. It's about the conversation, everything else over on top of that is one side or the other trying to, you know, protect themselves or have better results, right? You know, you talk about smoke and mirrors, you know, there's there's a lot of people don't trust salespeople, right? Understandably so, right? One of my, I'm not sure where I heard this originally, but there's this saying that you can lie to a salesperson and still go to heaven, you know? And so, and sometimes if I don't want to deal with somebody, right, oh, I got to talk to them. I got to talk to the wife, right? You know, when when one of these people like come up and knock on the door because I just don't want to deal with it. Right? And so if I'm going to do that and I love sales, imagine how someone who doesn't like sales is going to treat you. So you have to go over and above to listen and build trust and have some rapport and really make sure that they have the impression that you want to help and not just sell them a product or service.
0: You know, it said that sales is a thankless job. And for that, you know, just like you mentioned, right, there's possible the uh, there's a possibility that you'll always get, you know, rudely spoken to or someone just doesn't have the time or the patience to deal with you as a salesperson Mm -hmm. despite that or in spite of that how do you keep going
1: good question you know uh everybody's got bad days right the thing to remember is that the you you got to be really passionate about the thing that you are offering or selling for most people you know there were some people out there that are like mercenaries for lack of a better term and they can sell anything and they don't really care but most people don't fit into that into that boat they need to have trust that the back that the back of the house is going to be able to perform that they can do a good job and everything else like this and i think that that is really important right i don't i don't know anybody personally who fits that mercenary mentality who can just sell anything right because you know, if, if you want to just make a whole bunch of money in sales, go sell roofing, right? Like those guys kill it, you know? But if you don't see, if you don't enjoy roofing or things like that, then then you've got you've to have some tie to the work, right? And that makes it easier. I can get lots of no's from people and I'm okay with that because I get a lot of no's. But it doesn't bother me because I know that the thing that I do for clients who do see value in it is such a, a big change. Forward for them. It's not just change for the sake of change. It's change to make sales easier, right? And as long as I have that in my head, that you know what I do brings value to the right kind of person, I can take notes all day long. Because it's not these people are saying that what I do isn't good. It's just something that they don't need. And you know, onto that point, like I think it's really important that you are okay with the idea that not everybody needs you. And this is hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. But if you're entering every sales conversation with this idea that I need this person to have, you know, pain around the area that I fix, that's going to put you in a bad spot, right? You're, you're essentially hoping for people to be in, in bad spots. And there's more than enough business out there for you to make as much as you want without needing everybody to be in a terrible place. Right. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. So tell us a little bit about your company, Adapted Growth and Sales Throwdown.
1: Sure. Um so the sales throwdown is all about personalities and sales, right? We talk a lot about the disc methodology, which is a personality um assessment. It's been around for a number of years and it's been kind of you know, repurposed and, and bastardized for lack of a better term, all over the place. And really it's kind of grouping people into one of four quadrants. And uh we think it's really interesting because on the show there's there's three other hosts. I'm not the only host. And so We sit in these four, four quadrants of disc. We have someone who's a D, someone who's an I, someone who's an S, and then I'm the C. And because of that, the advice that we give each other about how to handle certain, handle certain situations is going to be radically different, which is fine, right? Because it's not, sales is not a one size fits all silver bullet type of thing anyway, right? It's got to be customized for you so that way you feel comfortable doing it. Because if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you won't do it at all. So we talk about things like, you know, this happened to me. How would you handle it? Well, I would handle it this way, and then someone else will say, "Well, I'll I'll, I'll handle it this way." And so we've getting we've gotten a lot of people who are now taking the information from the episodes and they're sharing it with their teams, you know, in their morning huddles, which is huge and validating. And we couldn't be more thankful for that. Um, but the goal is to understand that if we're having a sales conversation, it's not about me as a salesperson; it's about you as the prospect. So I have got to be able to give you the information you need to feel comfortable making a buying decision. And depending upon where you are, that's going to be different information. I need a lot of facts, a lot of clarity, case studies, you know, all these things. Other people just I got a good feeling about you. This seems like it makes sense. Let's go ahead and go. So you got to know where you sit. So that way you can know where you have to shift to, to have the best conversation possible, the most trust, the most, the most rapport.
0: Sure. And what, what's adapted growth?
1: Adaptive growth is we work with entrepreneurs and small teams and nonprofits to give them like a standard operating procedure around selling, right? So that way everyone's using the same language following the same process. Um, and that stems from either like the founder, the person who's had the most conversations and is typically one of the better salespeople or the top performer on the team. I'll come in, interview them, figure out what's important. Um, and then we kind of standardize that information out and then I customize the CRMs that they're using to make sure that it's following that same kind of process. And that way, we can capture enough data. So that way, sales essentially just turns into a math problem, right? If you want to sell $2 million, the average revenue is this. Okay, cool. How many clients do we need? Okay, awesome. How many clients do I need to go talk to to get to one? Yes. And then, you know, figuring out those leading indicators that lead the business and not just being results only. Because you know you can you can mess up pretty bad and still get lucky you know in sales and sometimes you can do everything right and not get the deal and that doesn't make you bad just variance is a thing in sales just like it is with with anything else where there's a percentage uh, involved
0: and what advice would you give someone who's not in sales but is looking to get
1: into sales <laughs> um not in sales and lo- not in sales and looking to get into sales i would say to uh start digging around you know there is we're lucky these days right because there's so much content out there and you know you'll you'll have to figure out what is good for you and what isn't you know but there's in in any area there are some really big people out there that are putting out really good content and that is going to be your first line of defense make it as easy as possible the thing to understand is that depending upon your your personality you're going to bring some unique challenges to the table right? My challenges are different than someone who is in a different quadrant of a disc, right? You know, the D has got different problems than me. The I has got different problems than me. So I'm a firm believer to go take that assessment first, right? Figure out where you are. Because when you when you go that route and do the assessment, it's going to show you what you're really, really strong at. But it's also going to show you where you're going to struggle. And then you can build accountability and process and, and things like that around those weak points. So that way, you're constantly improving and getting better. And I, that's, in my opinion, the way that sales needs to be treated as an ongoing refinement process and not something where, okay, you're good. You don't have to keep improving anymore. And I think a lot of people still view it that way, unfortunately.
0: That's pretty awesome, John. Hey, it's been a pleasure. You know, there's a lot of uh, good stuff that you've shared. What's Thank the you. one thing that you would like to leave with the listeners?
1: Oh, um, the biggest thing is for me, right, is to measure the inputs, right? When you measure the inputs, the outputs will take care of themselves once you know the numbers. But as a salesperson, it's really easy to only look at the results. And if if the only way you can win is when you get a yes from like the person you're talking to, regardless of what else has happened before that, every time you get a no, it's going to feel uh, personal, right? It's going to feel heavy. Whereas if you follow the process and you get a no and you get to move on cleanly to the next one without having to do all the follow-up and chasing and all the things that salespeople don't really want and kind of gives us a bad name of being overly pushy and persistent. If you can call something over and say, hey, this guy wasn't qualified for this reason, this reason, this reason, and you can move on cleanly, there's a there's a calmness that happens, right? Of knowing exactly who the right client is and how, how you figure that out and calling it over because like, It's not going to work with everybody. Not everyone is going to be a good fit. You can't be something to everybody. Right? It's like that it's like that age old marketing standard. When you're trying to market to everybody, you're not really marketing to anybody. Same thing in selling. If you're trying to sell to everybody, you're not really going to be able to sell to to anybody. So really focus on your qualifying more than anything else. Ask really good questions. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I know that's kind of a a hodgepodge of things and yes for one but uh it's kind of hard to narrow it down to just one thing and where can people find you john oh i'm i'm all over the place <laughs> um so johnsmallmountain.com is my personal blog um i talk a lot about entrepreneurship and things like that that i find uniquely interesting um and that is on facebook and twitter as well and instagram um Adapted Growth. Uh, is AdaptiveGrowth.com. If you're curious about what it looks like to do like a sales blueprint and to get a process created for you or your team, um would be happy to have a conversation about that. And then um, that's also on all the normal channels at Adapted Growth. And then Sales Throwdown is a weekly podcast. Uh, there's audio on all the major channels, Spotify, um, iTunes, all, every other one as well. And then we also record it. So it's on YouTube. So if you're one of those people who wants to see the people as they talk, then we have that option for you as well. Um, and everything is at Sales Throwdown, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and YouTube.
0: That's pretty awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, John, and sharing so much about sales and how to go about being a good salesperson. Thank you so much. And we thank look you. forward to stay connected.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Okay, I hope you liked that episode. Please make sure you tune in to Plan B Success Podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform, or you could even go to YouTube, or you could check out the episodes on planb.live or rajivmudumba.com. And please make sure that you subscribe so that you get updates on these episodes coming out pretty much on a weekly basis. There's three episodes coming out on a weekly basis. And take a moment to leave a review and a comment on any of the platforms that you subscribe to. Thank you very much.